Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another mini coaching episode brought to you by the mini coaching sponsors. For just $5 a month, we get to have a virtual cup of coffee, and I get to offer you some personalized insight into a question you submitted. If you want to join the other mini coaching sponsors getting their questions answered, go to patreon.com slash AT Parenting Survival. And when you join, you'll notice the exclusive bonuses inside as a thank you for sponsoring the show. Now, before we dive into this week's mini coaching questions, I wanted to make sure that you know about the free three-part video series I'm doing next week called Survival Tools for Parents Raising Kids with Anxiety or OCD. It is definitely worth your time to carve out some extra minutes in your day and watch this video series. It will be on demand for um, the entire week that it's running and it starts October 15th and it will end um, like a week after that. (laughs) I don't know when. So if you have not registered yet, take advantage of these free resources that I churn out. This one is going to be a good one. I have put a lot of effort into carving out some simplistic things that I think every parent who's raising a child with anxiety or OCD should know. And, um, it's important to have a good framework because even if you have a therapist or even if you feel solid, there's so much that we have to do at home. And even if your child is completely unwilling to do anything related to their anxiety or OCD, I address that in this series. And I talk about the approaches that parents can do regardless of whether their child is on board or not. And things that actually, frankly, parents have to do in order to have success long-term for their kids. It's stuff that I'm doing at home. It's stuff that I recommend every parent that comes into my practice does. And it's stuff that I would recommend that you do as well. So commit to watching these three videos. They are going to be really short. They're going to be under 30 minutes each. And if you want to dive deep with me, I am going to be doing a Facebook group just for this series. It'll be like a pop-up Facebook group that will, that's going to open up just for that week. And then I will close it back down and I'll be doing live classes in there to supplement the series. So you can really dive deep with me. I can get to know you and I can really help you with what's going on at home. So if you're not registered, I don't know why you haven't. And you can text the word, all one word, survival tools to the number 44222, or just check the show notes for a link to register. And when you sign up, I will see you over in the Facebook group and look forward to meeting you in person. Okay. Now on to our mini coaching questions that were submitted. Okay. I want to start with Steve who wrote a follow-up from his previous question that he submitted in our first episode. Um, he said, thanks for the great support. Um, and his new question is I've been working on attempting to get his son to talk and go deeper about what bothers him when he thinks of school and starts to fret about the next school day. What he shares with me was eye-opening and heartbreaking. He told me that he worries about school because he thinks he can't focus, and then he struggles and gets discouraged. Then he feels like he's falling behind, and that causes him to have more work to do later when his classmates are done. And actually, Steve, this sounds so familiar. My eight-year-old was just talking about this exact same fear. She had a little breakdown at school the other day because of that. So I think that you are not alone with your son's struggles. 
He says he feels the medication doesn't work. He still can't focus. He's been taking 20 milligrams of Ritalin, which for those of you that aren't aware is um, a medication for ADHD. He started 20 milligrams a week ago and went up from 10. The last week he said he still couldn't focus. He says he knows that when the teacher calls on him, he hasn't been listening and he has to say that he doesn't know. I have mentioned to him that he has an IEP. Um, for those of you that don't know what that is, that's an independent, uh, I'm not, I'm sorry. It's an individual education plan and is on medication. I'm going to email his doctor and ask if a larger dose is necessary or maybe Ritalin doesn't work for him. How can I continue to support him? What is most difficult is he doesn't often know what he's being instructed to do, and then he gets frustrated. It often turns into an argument between us as we try to figure out what his instructions are. I feel your pain, Steve. Um, I know that many parents struggle with kids who have anxiety and OCD. They're often a powerful duo that come together. And the first thing is we want to commend your son for being able to articulate his struggles because so many times our kids can't even express what's frustrating them. And it just turns into like really difficult, nasty behavior. So you're obviously doing a lot right that he is feeling comfortable enough to talk to you and tell you what's going on. So I want to start with the positive because I think that's actually amazing because he obviously has a diagnosis um, regarding his inability to focus while some kids hyper-focus on their lack of focus. <laughs> that kind of sounded weird, but they do. They hyper-focus on being unable to focus, just like a lot of kids hyper-focus on not being able to sleep. Um, but he he is actually having a physiological issue because he's on Ritalin. So I would reach out to the psychiatrist. Um, maybe you've already done that since you sent me this email and definitely look into maybe either upping his dose, depending on what the psychiatrist says. I don't give medication um, suggestions or there's plenty of other stimulants. And there's a lot of stimulants that actually can can help, um, not help anxiety, but don't exacerbate anxiety. And so, because Ritalin can sometimes increase anxiety. And that's, that's the struggle is you treat ADHD and then boom, now you actually have more anxiety or you have more tics, um, more angst, sometimes more picking and pulling behavior depending on your child. So it's a balancing act. Um, so there are other options and you can talk to your psychiatrist about that because it may be increasing his anxiety as well. Um, the other thing that I would maybe suggest, and maybe you've already done this is I would talk to his teacher and if he's comfortable, maybe have a meeting with him and the teacher and say, he is having a hard time focusing. It's not his fault. It's physiological. It, are there some things that you can do? talking to the teacher now to help him stay on task. And so some of this might, uh, the burden might be placed on the teacher if possible to maybe put him in the front if that's not too embarrassing and maybe nonchalantly tap on his desk when she sees him zoning out and not in a punitive way, but in a a way to help him attend. Are there things that he can do in the classroom that aren't in his IEP that maybe you guys can tap into? So there are a lot of things that kind of bring kids back into the now. There are rubber bands that you can get for the bottom of a seat where they can kind of bounce their foot on it and that helps them focus. Sometimes, um, and I know teachers probably wouldn't allow this, but sometimes actually chewing gum or sucking on something helps them attend and focus. Sometimes having something in their hand can help. But I think that those tapping into what his coping mechanisms are can be really helpful. And then partnering with the teacher to say, 
can you not call on him spontaneously so that he doesn't feel anxious or humiliated when he doesn't know the answer? So, um, you know, that's not, that's not accommodating his anxiety. You know, that's something that probably can help his self-esteem to say to the teacher, he has a focusing issue. He has a diagnosis. Can you just not randomly call on him? Um, because that's embarrassing. It hurts his self-esteem. And, you know, maybe you could just tap on the desk or something to bring it to his attention, to his attention. So I think a lot of the stuff that he's talking about is, um, you know, getting some, some other people involved to help him so that he doesn't feel like he's falling behind. Sometimes when you have an IEP, teachers will have a planner that's just for that child and they'll sign off at the end of the day, making sure they got all their stuff done. Um, they keep an extra eye out for that child just to make sure that they're not um, getting lost or falling behind. And so that was something that uh, maybe you can work with and see what happens. So keep me posted. I'd like to hear how that's going. And um, I love that you guys are communicating. That is awesome. Okay. Rachel had a question. She said, my 14 year old son and his father had an argument and he has refused to live with him. There's currently a 50, 50 custody since July of 2019. He lives with me full time. He's very anxious, but not officially diagnosed. His father and some professionals see his behavior as trying to control the situation First, the behavior related to his anxiety and very low self-esteem. He had school refusal last year and stopped attending in January of this year. He's now back at school at this point, 80%. And due to a threat to harm himself last fall, a psychologist has attempted to work with him via the telephone due to his refusal to meet face-to-face. He is taking medication for depression. The court has now assigned a family court counselor to interview him and the rest of the family to try to rectify the situation. My son refuses to talk to me about the situation and he refuses to speak to the psychologist, school counselor, and social worker for child protection as well. While I would like to see things resolved, his father and I are not speaking and in the throes of going to court. I'm worried that the interviewing will make him shut down or refuse to go to school again. Do you have any suggestions related to how to prepare him for this interview and how to deal with him and or how to deal with him shutting down? He is a stay in his room kind of teen and has lost friends along the way due to him shutting himself off. Well, that sounds like a really difficult situation, Rachel. I'm so sorry to hear that you're going through that. Um, you know, court stuff is really tricky. I don't know if you have really any say in whether he gets interviewed or not, because a lot of times these things are mandated by the court. And so, um, my guess is if it's a court assigned family counselor, you're you're not going to have a say in whether he is able to interview him or not. It may not go well, or he may refuse. Um, but I don't know if you'll have any ability to, to leverage, you know, any control in that at all. And, and also if you do, it can be maybe misperceived as obstructing the process. So it is almost better for them to see like, Hey, I, I can't control this. You know, you can try to talk to him, but I don't know how that's going to work out. Um, yeah, so I can't really advise on that because I don't know how much you're going to have, how, how much you're going to really be able to stop that. It sounds though, in general, just talking about him, that he is, he is cocooning himself. He's shutting down. He's feeling depressed. He doesn't want to talk to anyone. And a lot of that probably comes from trust. When we see our kids shutting down and um, not wanting to talk to anybody, not wanting to talk to a therapist, not wanting to talk to anyone, um, it's because often that they've lost trust, they've lost trust in people. And 
he, he sounds like an avoider because he's avoiding school. He's avoiding talking. He's avoiding um, anything. But yet he's he's hurting because he had threats to harm himself. So I hope that he um, will get professional help because this is definitely bigger than what you can do and what you can control for him. But I would also start with uh, empathizing with him. And I know that's going to sound like a little tiny drop in the bucket that needs to be filled rather quickly. But we can't we can't catapult kids into treatment and into trusting other people when they're just not ready. And we have to start at the beginning, which can seem really painful. Um, and I know this isn't about court because I don't really have a very simple solution for that, except you can explain to him that you don't have any control over that. There's things that are out of your control. But I think the bigger thing to highlight here is working on that trust with him, however that however you can. And even if other people have um, violated his trust or made him doubt, it's something that you can build up with your connection with him. If everybody's saying and some professional see his behavior as trying to control the situation, um, that may be why he has no trust, is that people are kind of mislabeling him and misunderstanding him. And and you can help with that by by validating it for him. Like, I know that it's hard for you. I know that it's hard for you to talk to people. It's scary. It can feel embarrassing or you maybe feel like they don't get it. You know, so sitting in that empathy for a while and not trying to fix things, but trying to get him to realize that you, you can see things from his perspective and not talking for him, but saying, I can imagine, you know, using softer words, like I can imagine how hard this must be for you. Um, or I can't even imagine how hard this must be for you. And um, I get that when you're refusing to go to school, you're not trying to be difficult, that it was scary for you. And so I think more conversations like that can help. Um, it's not going to help in the short term when you have this thing happening right now that they want to interview him, but it will help him open up and develop trust um, over time. So keep us posted. I'm sorry to hear about all that that's going on, and I hope it goes smoothly. Okay, I got another question. She wants to remain anonymous, so I won't say her name. But she wrote, you should know that over the last couple of years, you've been a lifeline for me, which is nice to hear. I have had anxiety since I was a kid. And almost two years ago, my 10-year-old started having anxiety symptoms. I moved quickly, getting him into counseling. He saw a counselor for about six months, and we saw a lot of improvement. I started seeing a counselor too. And I want to say, this is me talking now, not me reading. I think that's awesome. She got him into therapy right away, which I think a lot of times we sit on that and we wait until it gets really bad before getting help which doesn't make any sense to me. Um, And we don't get our own help. So you did both, which is amazing. And then she continues to write, long story short, I discovered that I have OCD. I have been diagnosed for a few months. I am 50. Most of my life was spent with intense pure O and I had no idea. And for those of you that don't know what pure O is, it's like having intrusive thoughts without really any overt compulsions. Um, But a lot of times with pure O, we have mental compulsions. So just a side note. She continues, I am not certain if my son has OCD or not. At the moment, therapy is not an option for financial reasons, and so I'm working with him using books you have recommended, feeling like ERP could help whether he has OCD or just anxiety. And this is me talking again. (laughs) I know it can be confusing when I'm reading and then I'm like commenting, but I totally agree with her. I think that ERP is the way to go for anxiety or OCD. My question about my son is this. His current theme is sleep. He is afraid he will never fall asleep or that it will take a long time and he'll be tired the next day. That's kind of funny. I was just talking about that. He describes feeling trapped in his bed. 
This does not happen every night. Maybe once a month on average, he has a bad night, which actually isn't really that bad. That's better than a lot. If he has a bad night, he comes out uh, crying and anxious. Sometimes he worries about it during the day after he has a bad night. This may last for a few days and then a big. At bedtime, every night, he's often slightly anxious that he'll have a bad night. He does have some rituals that I can observe, but he does them each once, not multiple times. Um, And I do want to say that you can do a ritual and not do it over and over, and it's still a compulsion. So I just want to put that in there. We are working on a hierarchy. Yay. Very good. I've been trying to get to the root of his core fear. Today, we discussed the possibility that his core fear is that he is alone. He got emotional and said that he thought that might be it. He's 12 and a half now. Um, that he felt like he could not handle his anxiety and that even though he knows that his father and I cannot help him, he feels less alone. I'm wondering what the right ERP would be and how to empower him to handle and sit with his anxiety around sleep. How can I help him to change his cognition around the feeling that he can't handle it? Okay. So that's a little bit, um, let me unpack that a little bit. So his core fear may be that he is afraid to be alone, but I would actually say just based on your current symptom of what you're dealing with, that his core fear is that he may never go to bed. <laughs> you know, sometimes it doesn't have to be too complicated. Like if the actual behavior is, I'm worried that I'm going to, you know, it's going to take forever to fall asleep. Um, and then I'll be tired the next day and I feel trapped in my bed. I wonder if the core fear is I'm going to be awake and then I'm going to be tired the next day. Now, being afraid of falling asleep is a very common anxiety theme. And the core fear though is different for different kids. So some kids are worried that if they don't fall asleep, then their parents will fall asleep and then they'll be technically alone in the house. So I would recommend exploring that. Um, you know, does he seem like he gets nervous at night? Is he worried about his safety? So, um, and you might be like, nope, nope, not at all. And so then just cross that core theme off. Uh, other people, and he is voicing this, so I'm kind of leaning in this direction, say that they're worried that they're going to be tired the next day. Like, oh, my, my day is going to be ruined. I'm going to be a zombie. It's going to be so hard to focus. Um, so that that is the core fear there. And other people worry that um, they're going to have bad dreams and stuff, so they don't want to go to sleep. So I'm feeling like maybe his core fear around this is that he's going to be tired the next day. Now, he might have that core fear of being alone, and it might show in different other in diff- different ways, but for this current issue, this theme that you're talking about, I would think that his core fear is just um, that I will be tired the next day. So the way to address that, and for those of you that have kids who are like that, I have, I actually have two kids who are like that as well. It is getting them to sit with the discomfort of they may or may not be tired the next day, and so instead of battling sleep instead of fighting sleep and saying, oh my gosh, now I'm only going to get eight hours. Oh my gosh, now I'm only going to get six hours. Oh my gosh, I'm still not asleep. Now I'm only going to get five hours because that's what kids do. That's what adults do too. It's you want to, you want to train him to say to his anxiety, you're right. You know what? I may or may not get to sleep and that's okay. The worst thing that will happen is that I'm going to be really tired tomorrow. And guess what? I can function being really tired because the next day I'll probably fall asleep. And even if I don't, right, because we're still accepting worst case scenario, then I'll, I'll be tired the next day. And I've had days where I'm really tired and I still function. So getting him to sit with the discomfort that he may or may not go to sleep that night and that he may or may not be tired the next day and accepting the worst case scenario that, yeah, I might have a really tired day, but I'll get through it. That takes all the power out of the anxiety. And 
And then it's not like trying to throw a zillion things at him to fall asleep. Okay, are you going to fall asleep now? It's like, just lay there, you know, and if you're not going to fall asleep, you can think of a world. Um, I have a YouTube video on how to create a world in your head. And it's a technique that I use um, for a lot of kids who are, you know, just anxious or just going to bed. And I'll link that in the show notes for you. Um, also like sleep stories or guided imagery or meditation at night can help, but we don't want him to think that that's the answer. Like we're doing this to put you to bed. It's like, this is what I say to my son, just relax in your bed. Think of your world. He's been kind of fighting back with the world thing lately. Or I'll say, just listen to this story. You don't have to go to sleep. And when we give them permission to just lay there and not fight it, it tends to take all the energy away from the anxiety. So try that, see how it goes um, and keep me posted. And thanks for submitting the question. Okay, Lisa wanted to know, do you have any exposure ideas, OCD exposure ideas, for a 13-year-old boy with the core fear of death of family members and himself? He doesn't want us to die and leave him alone. So I realized the fear of separation anxiety could be woven into that. Okay, good question. Um, If you're working with a therapist, I always recommend, obviously, and this goes without saying for all of you, um, talk to your therapist and get their opinion and their approaches first because they know your child the best. I'm going to talk in generalities, um, but I don't know your son. And so even when we're doing exposures, we kind of really want to, I want to know as much detail as I can to really flesh out the best exposure. But if he has separation anxiety, you might want to do exposures around separation anxiety as well. Um, and I also like to make sure that we're not, I treat separation anxiety different than I treat OCD. So if his core fear is purely separation anxiety, I wouldn't want to do um, the kind of exposures I'm going to talk about in a second. (laughs) So if it's purely separation anxiety um, and he's just worried about he's, you know, not okay if he's not with you because what happens if something happens to you guys, then I do exposures where maybe you leave the house. And it really depends, Lisa, on like how intense his separation anxiety so you have, you can enter this wherever you are, but you know, I would leave the house. Now, if he, you know, if he can't handle me leaving the house then maybe I'd walk to the mailbox, um, and then maybe I'd walk around the block and then maybe I would go out and get Starbucks for an hour and let him know exactly when I'd be back. And then maybe I would build up and I would say, I'm going to go to Starbucks, but I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to be back. And I'd be back maybe like an hour and 15 minutes. Um, what, and that's generic. So it might be different for him. Some kids are okay as long as they're home and they get anxious if they're away from the house. So you'd have to reverse that. But building up that hierarchy of getting him to separate more and more and more is helpful, um, especially when they don't know when you're going to come back. That can be helpful. But then with separation anxiety, I also work on the thoughts um, and I work on what's, you know, reframing their thinking. I don't have control. Um, and, And actually, if you Google not Google, but if you search my website and I'll leave links below actually to make this easier for you, but I have a lot of resources on separation anxiety. And so I'm not going to go into it in this episode, but I will link them below in the show notes so that you can, if you haven't already dive into my separation anxiety stuff. Now, having said that, let's say you have a child with OCD and you know, it's OCD, like their core fear is death of family members because they don't want to be alone. Um, but they're doing compulsions around it. It's nonsensical. Um, things like that. I have done exposures where I've used images. And so, you know, finding a simple photo app can be really helpful in doing exposures. And the idea of doing exposures, for those of you that aren't aware of exposures with ERP, 
it's to trigger that intrusive thought. We want our, we want to trigger the intrusive thought. And we want to have our kids sit with the discomfort of that thought that they're bringing onto themselves, right? Because OCD will give a child an intrusive thought that they have no control over. It pops up without their control. It overwhelms them without them knowing how to handle it. So the idea of ERP is I'm going to purposely create this thought. I'm going to trigger this thought. And you get kids to do this for themselves eventually. And then I'm going to build up my muscles to learn how to sit with this discomfort. So that's the purpose of doing exposures. And the reason why I'm explaining that to those of you that are not Lisa is because what I'm about to suggest is going to sound very weird and maybe even slightly cruel if you don't understand the methodology of ERP. So you would sit with them and you'd make maybe a menu of ideas. And I like to partner with kids and say, let's come up with the things that will really bother your O, um, whatever you call it. If you have a funny name for it, that's really good and helpful. And so you might say, you know, what number would it be if you looked at an image of your whole family and everybody was grayed out but you because they had passed away? Or what number would you be on a one to 10 stress scale if you looked at like a fake news article and it said, um, breaking news, you know, son is left all alone because family has died. There is an app called Newsmaker app. And actually one of the clients I work with, um, found it and started using it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm totally stealing that. That's brilliant. And it's a simple app and it's literally called Newsmaker app. And you can put an image and you can put a headline. Those are really good for exposures for things like this. Um, and you can you you can tap into his fear of death of himself. His family is mourning him. Um, I have written eulogies. I've had, um, you know, parents like fake death notices and stuff. It sounds very dark and morbid, but it is so effective when it's OCD. Um, I don't do that for separation anxiety. And that's why I'm having that caveat of if it's purely separation anxiety, these are not exposures I would do. But if it was OCD um, and, and very much OCD related, that's what I would recommend. So hopefully that helps give you some ideas and definitely bounce those off a therapist if you have one. Okay, last one for this episode is from Bridget. And she wrote, my son, Jake, is six years old and choked on a fry this past September. He has refused all solids since the 4th of September. His diet has consisted of chocolate ice cream and frozen sherbet push-ups. He'll also drink water, Gatorade, and pop, but that's it. Nothing more. We've tried everything. Um, We don't make a big deal out of the situation. We don't threaten to punish him um, if he doesn't eat. We echo his fear back to him, reassuring him that we know it can be super scary to eat something after experience choking. We eat together. We encourage him to try solids, but um, don't push him if he starts to get upset. We've offered um, food like French fries and potato chips that he can lick without actually eating it. That was a really good idea. Um, Only done this twice for us in one month. We're getting more concerned as each day passes because we worry that the longer he goes without eating solids, the harder it will be to get him to do so. We also worry about the lack of nutrients in his diet. We have attempted to hide Pediasure in his milkshakes, but we were unsuccessful with that. We've spoken with his primary doctor and the adolescent therapist that two of our children see, and they both told us to continue doing what we're doing and that eventually he'll start eating solid skin. They are not overly concerned because his weight has not significantly dropped. His energy energy level remains high and he's sleeping well. Is there anything that we should do differently? Maybe you have a few tricks up your sleeve that we can start with, Jake. Thanks for your help. Um, whoa, Bridget, that's a lot for you guys to handle. Um, I, I would not have a wait and see approach to this. Um, and I get this because my son has ARFID, Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder, and it 
it often can be triggered by a trauma experience like like choking and if anxiety runs in the family you know arvid can be created and it it is good to nip in the bud it doesn't you don't want to wait until his weight is is concerning why not work on this now and so i would get an anxiety and ocd therapist it sounds like you have one for your other kids i don't know if they're anxiety and ocd therapists but I would find an ARFID specialist or someone who works with ARFID to work with him because these things don't, and I don't mean to scare you, but these things don't get better over time often if we don't, if we don't do something. And it sounds like you're doing some good things. You're not pressuring him. You're trying to get him to lick things. You're like validating his, his trauma, like how scary that must have been. But when it comes to food issues, it's good to, to get into professional help right away because um we need to eat and um it is something that can morph in the longer it's not dealt with and the longer it goes on the bigger the issue and i know this because i have a 10 year old who has similar issues and um has times where he won't eat anything and that can be very concerning so you don't want to sneak things into food ever when you have a child with arfid because their trust and suspicion is pretty high and we really want them to um, to trust anything that we're going to be doing with them. So when we sneak things, they get even more paranoid and they're even less likely to have stuff. So I, I would talk to him, um, and he's only six, which makes it a little bit trickier, but I would talk to him about um, the concern about him not eating. And he knows this because kids who, who aren't eating don't want to not eat, but it's just so scary for them. But that you would explain that's why you're having Pediasharp because the way that I explain it to kids is your body needs fuel, right? Like if we went into the car, but we never gave it gas, the car would eventually stop driving. It would just pop, pop, pop out, right? Well, our body is the machine. Our body's like a car and we have to put things in our body in order for our body to operate well. And I get that it's very scary and I get that you choked and that was really, really scary for you. But, and hopefully, um, Bridget, you've named his anxiety because that can really help. So if we talk about, um, you know, Mr. Don't Eat, you know, Mr. Don't Eat is like, oh, you should never eat again. Food's your enemy, right? And you can personify this and make it real for, for Jake so that he can understand that. And when we, when we personal, when we personify things and we're externalizing it, especially to a six-year-old, but to any age, even an adult, then it makes the Mr. No, no eat the enemy and not him and his fear, right? So Mr. No eat's going to say, oh my gosh, you can't eat anything because you might, you might choke, but Mr. No eat is starving you to death, right? Because you can't live off of ice cream and sherbet push-ups. That's not okay. But Mr. Eat doesn't care. He's just like, nope, nope, we're not eating. But the thing is when we don't feed yourself, when you don't feed yourself, you're actually feeding and growing Mr. Don't eat. And we don't want to feed and grow Mr. Don't Eat because the bigger he gets, the more he's going to tell you to not do things and the more he's going to make you nervous and anxious. And so the way that we beat Mr. No Eat, I'm just creating Mr. No Eat, but I actually think it's kind of a cute name, is we start to do things that are tricky and scary one small step at a time. So the, the first step is really educating him. It is really, really educating him on what anxiety is, personifying it making it this thing, uh, make it Mr. Don't Eat or whatever he wants to call it, and then empowering him and saying, how do we bully back Mr. Don't Eat? And then, you know, maybe creating a menu with him of like, what are some small little things that you can do to push back on Mr. Don't Eat? And 
and partner with him. What would that be? Licking this or nibbling that? Um, And you might start off really, really small, but he has to be in control. So if we are controlling and really pushing, and you're not doing this, it doesn't sound like, but some of us do this because we're so anxious to get our kids to do something like just lick it, just lick the French fry and you'll be fine. Um, Our kids partner with Mr. Don't Eat and they're like, nope, nope, we're not going to do it. And they dig their heels down and they, they double down on their no, right? But when we kind of act like we don't care, <laughs> which is so hard, we act indifferent and we're like, hey, Mr. Doni is just going to grow. So what do you want to do to push back at him and make them come up with the ideas? Uh, they're more likely to come up with ideas. And sometimes they'll come up with ideas that are bigger than I would have come up with. Here's the deal though. You have to gamify it. So you tap into what does that six-year-old really like? What is his currency? Does he play Roblox? Does he like Legos? Um, what's he into? And you make it very enticing to, to beat Mr. Don't Eat, right? So you're like, I love when you're being brave and I love when you're beating Mr. Don't Eat. So what can we earn? Let's make some prizes up. And you do prizes where he earns something pretty nice, for doing one little thing at first. Like that's how you get kids hooked into exposures is you say, here is this really cool Lego set. You know, let's create, if you can create a menu and pick something from your menu that you're going to do to squash Mr. Doni, you can earn this Lego set. So you, you normally have something pretty enticing. And then as time goes by, cause none of us can afford that. Um, you do points or you do something smaller where he's earning things over time and you're gamifying it where you have a behavior modification plan that you're doing all the time. So I would definitely start doing that. I would not have a wait and see approach. I have had, um, I've had two kids with major eating issues. Um, and I have had two kids who have come very close to needing uh, feeding tubes. And because that's how anxiety and OCD kind of manifest in my house with my two kids, my oldest who's 16, had sensory processing or has sensory processing issues and had some major oral defensiveness and could not eat solids at all. So hers was more physical, but my son who's 10 now, um, actually he's almost 11. He'll be 11 on Friday. I'm getting so old, but he had something very similar. He's worried about choking. He's worried about throwing up. It, it takes one little problem like choking, but then anxiety will glum onto other things too. So then it will be something else. Then it'll be something else. And I, I have worked with kids who have been on liquid diets for years, and I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying that to move you into action, to say, who cares what the doctors say? You know, I've had so many pediatricians tell me, wait and see. I've had pediatricians tell me, punish. I've had therapists tell me to punish my kid because he won't eat, even though they knew it was OCD related. So you're going to get some bad advice out there. Um, And it's not necessarily because people are um, intentionally trying to give you bad advice. It's because they're ignorant to maybe how to treat ARFID and they may be ignorant to how, how badly this can spiral out of control rather quickly and how it doesn't rectify itself overnight for a lot of our anxious kids. So it's very fixable. And, um, I've worked with lots of kids, including my own kid to move them past this point, but I would recommend one, trying to get an anxiety and OCD therapist if possible to support you. And two, doing some of the things that I just talked about. Uh, and if you don't know where to look, if the therapists that you're working with um, are not anxiety and OCD therapists, and you you do want to get ones that are specifically anxiety and OCD therapists, because I wouldn't get a general therapist for this, you can go to the International OCD Foundation's website and look at their resource page. 
if you go to iocdf.org slash find dash help, um, you will find um, their provider directory. And that's a really good place to start. So keep me posted. I would love to hear more about how things are going. Um, So if you are a mini coaching sponsor and you didn't get to submit your question for this episode, feel free to go onto our mini coaching sponsor website and submit a question for next time. Um, For those of you that did submit questions, feel free to submit follow-ups. I am here to support you. And for those of you that are listening and thinking, wait a minute, I want her to answer my question. You can go to patreon.com slash AT Parenting Survival. Join us for only $5 a month and I will answer your questions as well. So I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. I hope that I'll see a lot of you next week in the free video series and I'll talk to you again on Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.